Hello, and welcome to The Content Minds. My name is Ryan Broderick, and I'm feeling a little sick, and I have Googled whether or not I have COVID symptoms. I do not, um, but I will be checking that Google search result uh, throughout this entire podcast because I'm very anxious about it. Uh, my name is Betty. I don't have COVID symptoms, but I'll be honest, I kind of already thought you had COVID. I thought that happened already. I mean, I, I think I did actually have COVID, I, and I know that like everybody thinks they had COVID already, but I, I do think I already had COVID. I mean, I... Okay, what, last... is, what is a normal number of times to cough a day? Because uh... I cough like two or three times a day normally. Do you? But yeah. Like I've you never cough noticed a bit, that you... about you. No, because I don't spend that long with you a day. Nor we, have we, I ever we, done we, that. We used to spend a lot of time together. Is this a new thing? No, but just like I, I cough occasionally. Like I'll, I'll, I don't know, I get some... I don't know, dust in my throat, or whatever. Like, but you cough occasionally. Like, people cough normally, and I'm trying to figure out like what the difference between like just coughing occasionally because you are cooking and some onion gets in your face or whatever, and a COVID cough is. I have never, I've never known you to be a cougher. This is blowing my mind. I'm not well, a big cougher. I just like yeah, two or three times a day. Like it's once every eight hours or whatever. Well, okay, I'm gonna say if you're coughing once every couple hours, you're not. You don't have COVID. Okay. There was a big video this week uh, in the UK where, so the UK is now doing a tier thing where we've shut down certain cities and this week we shut down Liverpool. Um, okay. Yeah, that sounds right. I really enjoy that every week I can give you a different version <laughs> of the, the UK's plan. It's crazy because because now. the UK plan from week to week, as far as I understand it from you, has no relationship to what it was the week before. It is like no. every new week, it's like a brand new thing we're going to try. Okay. Yeah. This is a tier. We're on tiers now. Okay. So there are three tiers. tiers there's there are three tiers. What would you, okay? If you were going to call the three tiers things, what would you call them? Uh, well, I would do one, two, and three. One being the most intense, and three being the least intense. Okay, no, three is the most intense. Tier three, but yeah, that's the so opposite of how you one. would tier rank. One is the low tier, but that's the opposite of how you rank like sports teams. Right. So, tier one is the low tier. That's called medium. Wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> it starts what? at medium. It starts well, at medium. What is above medium? High. And then what's above high? Very high. <laughs> <laughs> That's like condom sizes. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Wait, so... Right. It's condom sizes or fast food sizes. Like, is, yeah. it, is, is it the idea that if it's above small then it's a problem and that's when the tears start? Is that the thinking? That's no, the logic? Everyone's, in, everyone's in medium. We're all in medium tier regardless of how many cases of coronavirus we have. When does medium... <laughs> Wait, so... Okay, when does medium tier go away? Uh... I, I don't know. No one's asked that. So you exist at a medium tier. That's like your flat line. That's, that's like your, default is medium. That's your zero decibels. Okay. Yeah. And then if you go above that, it's high. It's high, but that's tier two. Yeah. Tier Even two though, is high. But medium should be the tier. So why didn't they just make tier one no coronavirus? Tier two medium coronavirus. Tier three big coronavirus and then you could even do like a tier four where it's like hyper coronavirus yeah uh, well there's no plans for tier four so well yeah i think that would be a bad idea if it was tier four also in tier three you know restaurants and pubs and stuff are still open so it's not totally clear. wait i thought i okay 
I thought I understood what you're talking about. So what do the tiers measure? Well, they measure the amount of coronavirus and therefore the amount of restrictions that are applied. So yeah, so so basically, the higher you go up, the more restrictions are applied. But then you can only go up to three. Yeah. And three doesn't include the closures of pubs or restaurants. Uh, you know, I actually need to... I, now I'm talking about it, I need to check it, but it, it, it broadly... So tier one... Everything's normal, but we have a 10 p.m. <laughs> curfew because the virus doesn't spread after 10 p.m. After at night, yeah, it doesn't spread at yeah. night, of course, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, and then tier two is the same, and then tier three, they start closing. Okay, so they close pubs, so places you can only get a drink, they close, but they are keeping open places, they're keeping restaurants and places you can eat. Okay. But you're only allowed to go in them to have a drink if you also have a substantial meal at the same time. Oh, okay. I saw people tweeting about this that Weatherspoons uh, counts as a substantial meal. Well, it depends what you have. Oh, really? Yeah. If you go in and have a bag of crisps, that no, that's not a substantial meal. We went through a similar thing here when Andrew Cuomo got on TV and was like, here is a pyramid of food ranked from most <laughs> substantial to least substantial. And here on the pyramid is where you no longer can get served alcohol. Because when he first said, like, you need to buy food, I went to a bar where they just had a uh, a pile of Dorito bags and you got a free bag of Doritos with your drink, which then counted as food. And that didn't last very long. So We used to have a similar thing uh, in licensing here where if you served food, you could have a later license. So there was a club I went to when I was a student uh, that just at like 2 a.m. brought a toaster and they oh, just gave out toast. I think and you told me this. And it was like 50 pence for like some toast. That's honestly a, an extremely British idea, which is just like, would you like some toast with your 2 a.m. clubbing? I mean, that sounds exactly. delightful. Which will also inform you as to how well this plan has gone where people aren't allowed to go out for a drink without also having a substantial meal, which apparently a Cornish pasty counts as a substantial meal, but only if you have a side. <laughs> imagine having i feel like this is actually important for you guys to finally address your food and like maybe like have yeah. some like real conversations about what is and isn't legally <laughs> defined as food in the uk i mean for a, a group most of, pub feed won't food won't be does a scotch egg count no oh man I, well scotch how much eggs is less Less than, uh, like, maybe if you had, like, four or five scotch eggs. What about one of those big scotch eggs? Like, the huge ones? No, it's got to be a, it's gotta be a, it's gotta be a real... I've eaten a scotch meal. egg that needed, like, a fork and knife because it was so big. I had to, like, cut it in half. Right, but was it your main meal that night? No, that's not, that's not true. Obviously, it was the UK. You didn't eat anything else. Why would you? But uh, Yeah, I, it was actually... I, it was consumed during, like, a 12-hour day drinking session, and yes, it was my main meal of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but what okay. ended up ha what ended up happening with this to bring it back to the start was yes. Liverpool had its last night where you could go out to drink without eating, uh, and a big video went round where everyone was like, "This is crazy! This is clearly going to spread the virus." As everyone was like seeing their mates for the last time, everyone's hugging, and literally three seconds into the video of an incredibly full street, it pans across this one guy in a parker who just, like, coughs really aggressively into his hand for, like, three seconds. And then it just the video just keeps going. It's like, this is, this is why we're stopping this. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, for a, uh, for a culture that prides themselves on standing in line, um, that's, like, kind of like, <laughs> your, like, you guys, that's your national identity is you're very good at standing in line. You're not particularly good at following rules. I would say you're almost allergic to it. We're briefly good at following rules, and then we get very annoyed by the concept of having to follow them. I think that's, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Well, 
I'm glad that Liverpool was able to throw a COVID party uh, before they got locked down. Um, speaking of not following rules <laughs> and being unable to uh, regulate anything properly and also the downfall of modern society, I think we're, uh, we need to finally talk about Facebook. We do. We do need to talk about Facebook. We've not mentioned it before, I think. I actually... Once again, I edit the show. I should have an encyclopedic knowledge of everything that we talk about. <laughs> I think in many ways, Facebook is something that we have not fully addressed on this show simply because, I don't know, I always sort of feel like everyone knows at this point that like it's bad. And I feel like it's very overstated how bad it is. It's like, it's, you know, it's like water at this point. It's yeah. like, oh, the internet sucks. The internet is Facebook. Like, there, are large, there are many countries in the world in which the internet is effectively Facebook. Yeah. It's and and it doesn't like bitching and moaning about it, writing about it. Um, it doesn't matter. Like it, it, none of it goes anywhere. It doesn't accomplish anything. It just it sucks. <laughs> it just yeah, sucks. exactly. So what we're going to talk about this episode is an old theory of mine. Yes, that I came up with while drunk, and you remembered. Yes, and therefore I've had to stick with it ever since. I'm not even sure if I agree with it anymore. But 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 let's this do this. Is Alexander Hamilton versus Mark Zuckerberg. The Hamilton algorithm versus the Zuckerberg algorithm. Epic rap battles in history. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so to set this all up, uh, I don't remember when we were talking about this, but it was in person and we were very intoxicated. Uh, as is uh, common for the two of us. And you had, I think it was the 2018 election, actually. And you were talking about how you were waiting to see if the American government could course correct after 2016 and whether or not Alexander Hamilton's algorithm, which is to say the way the federal government works in America. The U.S. Constitution, as it's otherwise known. Yes. Was better or worse than Mark Zuckerberg's algorithm. Um, and I was like, ooh. Well, I, I want to be clear. I don't think better or worse is the right question here. It's who will win. Right. right? Which is more powerful, which can overpower the other. Right. So I went, ooh, that's so good. And then I woke up the next morning and I was like, that's such a good idea. And you were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so you've had some time to think about this. And this is also something that you and I have brought up a lot of times in the course yeah. of making the content minds. And we, we sort of we wanted to talk about it. And I feel like. It's important to talk about this week for three things, which is uh, in the last month, basically, Facebook has effectively attempted to ban QAnon-related content. It has uh, put a ban on anti-vaccination ads. It is now, as we're recording this, attempting to block the spread of a New York Post article about Hunter Biden... Yep. And the Burisma Energy Company. All of, all the photos of which in he looks very cool. He looks so cool. Um, yeah. So I think it is, at this point, useful to talk about Facebook in the biggest possible picture we can. So, Luke, what the hell were you talking about when you said uh, Alexander Hamilton's algorithm versus Mark Zuckerberg's? Okay. So the essential understanding of what an algorithm is is a series of 
decision trees. That's effectively what it is. It's more complicated than that, but that is effectively what it is, which is if X happens, then Y happens, assuming that Z has already happened. Like that's yeah. that's it. And what Alexander it's like a Hamilton, recipe. It's 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 sort of like a recipe. Yeah, exactly. And so what Alexander Hamilton had was it designed a system of government and you know, with other people as well. And I feel like I should point out at this point that Alexander Hamilton was not the best one of the founders or like he did design a bad thing of it even leaving aside the slavery stuff purely as a like design thing i would Uh, also say he's i think we can call him a bit of a fascist yeah he was extremely pro (laughs) both the president and the senate being elected for life yeah which is the sort of thing we are like oh that's hmm i don't think you got the democracy thing of this i like to think of alexander hamilton as like the paul mccartney and the Thomas Jefferson as the John Lennon, where they're both not exactly great, and they have very different ideas, and they work together for a brief period of time, but like you don't really want Paul McCartney on his own because then you get wings, and you definitely don't want John Lennon on his own because like he's the worst person alive, and he's burning in hell right now. And yeah, that's as far as I got with that metaphor. Right, and um, Benjamin Franklin is Ringo Starr, who is the only good one, I think. Wait, no, <laughs> Sam Adams. Sam Adams is Ringo Starr. Uh, who's the fourth Beatle? What's his name? George Harrison. He was just Would miserable he... all the time. Was he? I don't know enough about the Beatles actually to keep this bit up. George, George Harrison was like, yeah, he was the fourth Beatle. He was very miserable. He's probably James Madison. Mm, okay. I recently had to do a similar activity and Pete to this. Best is George Washington. Okay, I've got this. This is good. <laughs> is Pete Best the guy, he's the producer? No, he was the drummer who they got rid of and then replaced with, uh, Ringo Starr right before they got famous. Okay, 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 okay. Um, I recently had to do a similar exercise on Twitter the other day, but it was uh, matching up Dragon Ball Z characters with celebrity chefs. Um, You're better equipped for that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the main takeaway is uh, Gordon Ramsay is Vegeta and Guy Fieri is Goku. And I would put Alton Brown as Piccolo, but I'm still working on it. Also, maybe Nigella Lawson as Bulma. Yeah, you, you, these sure are words. Which I guess would make... Hmm. All right, I'll 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 come back to this idea. So, um, as you were saying, algorithms. Um, so, so how would you define Alexander Hamilton's algorithm in, the, in, the con- in, in terms of an algorithm? Well, Alexander Hamilton's algorithm was a selection of checks and balances. And it also should probably point out, like, what the U.S. Constitution is now is not what they originally designed, but it has... You know, and it has enough add-ons and bits and pieces that the add-ons are within the realms of his algorithm. Because if you want to change the U.S. Constitution, you need uh, thirty-four of the fifty state legislatures, or thirty-eight if you do it in a different method. But like, there's a bunch of different things that means that like it's really hard to change this stuff. Right. So, for example, if you are uh, uh, let's say FDR and you now wanted to get elected four times while becoming a dictator, who you know, also did win a war and did a lot of good things while being in a wheelchair, but technically was also sort of a dictator. Like, they after after FDR, they did change the rules, but changing the rules was within the, the, the scope of the algorithm. Similarly, expanding the Supreme Court would be within the scope of the algorithm because, like, he didn't actually write down how many people should be in the Supreme Court. Right. But the question is, is whether or not a single force can emerge that can kind of overwhelm the algorithm and, like, basically take it down on the basis that it, it, it stops functioning and the checks and balances are blown through, the guardrails are knocked aside, the routes that it's taking are just, just 
uh, can be driven off the rails by a single thing. To keep your metaphor up, what you're kind of describing is a political DDoS attack, which is yes, a distributed exactly. denial of service attack, which is what you do is you create uh, a bunch of uh, requests for service to a server at such a degree that it overwhelms the server and it completely shuts down. So it's uh, 4chan does this a lot where they'll just send like too much web traffic to a single website and they'll br- they'll brick the website. You could argue that Trump is performing one culturally on America every single day. Um, and this is sort of, I guess, w- w- the strength of Hamilton's algorithm in this metaphor would be whether or not it can sustain four years of near constant Trumpian DDoS attacks. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's whether or not it continues to work while Trump happens. And also here is that Trump is not the DDoS attack. Like he is the the symptom. He is the one that got through. The thing that our argument here, and I, I believe this, I don't know if you believe this as well, is that he it would not have happened without Facebook. I think I have wavered back and forth about this i've agonized about this i've also agonized about our role in this i feel as though you and i spent many years uh reaching inhuman amounts of facebook traffic and learning how to do it and i am kept up at night sometimes thinking about whether or not i helped dismantle democracy by creating a playbook that bad actors could use i think without facebook Everything would be a lot different, I think, without us, I think, but I think also Facebook itself isn't really the problem. I think the problem is that it's the centralized communication provided by Facebook and the fact that Facebook is not equipped to deal with it. I don't think there's anything inherently evil. See, I about would what... consider that all this part of the same thing. Like if, if you build, interesting, you know, if you build a, a, a car that runs people over because you it, it's incredibly fast, you don't go like, <laughs> well, technically it's also the fact that they were standing in the wrong places like no 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 in fact to so one of my favorite papers about the way the internet works um i cite it almost in everything i can do just because i think it's so good it's called white flight in networked publics how race and class shaped american teen engagement with myspace and facebook and it basically posits the idea that when Facebook launched and only allowed people to access it with a college email address, it created a class divide and thus a race divide between MySpace and Facebook. And MySpace essentially became something of like a digital ghetto, whereas Facebook became a life raft for kids who were rich enough or wealthy enough or privileged enough to go to college. And what I think is interesting about the Facebook effect when you think about like where we are now is to do an experiment and think like, okay, well, what if that didn't happen? What if instead Facebook popped up in 2006 or whatever and died and MySpace absorbed it and got better and bigger? Would MySpace be suffering the same problems that Facebook is right now? And my answer is yes, because I think it's not about the, it's you're right about the car and it's not about where you're standing, but it's the fact that it's the car and the, and the road and how poorly managed it is and how dangerous it is and not the type of car. So I think any social network, if it gets too big, will cause these problems. I don't think that it's anything specifically about the mechanics of Facebook in the same way that I don't think 4chan is an inherently evil site or being anonymous on websites is inherently evil. But I think if they're not properly maintained, that's when they become evil or disastrous or or, or things like that. Okay, so that makes sense to me from terms of like humans should not be as connected as they are. Like it's a problem and I think that we haven't 
fully figured out how to deal with it. But I also think that specifically that Facebook algorithm that existed between about 2013 and 2017, uh, that they got better and better at using, or better and better at refining to do a very bad thing, was the particular thing that made that crashed the guardrails. The the algorithm that constantly wanted you to play Mafia Wars. Yes. <laughs> got everyone addicted to Candy Crush. Yeah, yeah, no. I, yeah, I mean... I, I would agree with that. I would agree with we, that. You say this, like, I still see people on the tube playing Candy Crush. Like, <laughs> Dude, my mom... I, I once found out how much money my mom had spent on Candy Crush. And I'm not, I'm not comfortable saying the amount of money on this podcast, but it was enough where we had to have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> right, which is exactly the problem. Like, it was that very specific algorithm that that figured out a way to move people move a large number of people very aggressively very hard in multiple directions and the particular direction that it moved a large group of people in was crashing the guardrails and electing trump and i you know i think I, it's obviously not the only thing like the post 2008 failures of the obama administration like they didn't really deal with inequality like they brought the economy back but didn't really deal with inequality like that was a thing uh and that was a, that's been a thing in the uk as well that's why we've never totally figured out like what we should be doing since then but i think that specific electing someone to the most powerful office in the world was an algorithmic thing that happened yeah i would agree with that okay. i would i i would i would say that like i mean you talk about this a lot on this show which is that like lightning can't strike twice and i think it, it's very similar to what a friend of mine uh he He's worked in academia studying like internet technology, web culture. His name is Jamie Cohen. And he and I have had lots of conversations about whether or not social media is inherently fascist or like inherently <laughs> authoritarian. But I, uh, in the same way that whether or not reality TV is inherently fascist or inherently authoritarian, because it sort of f- is fueled by a cult of personality. And that's like sort of the driving mechanic of reality TV. And I think it is not an accident that a former reality TV star was able to manipulate Facebook's algorithm to basically take over the American government. I don't think I don't think it's an accident that it was it was that particular person. Which is then leads us to kind of the next question, which is I'm not surprised that person did it, but did they actually effectively take over the levers of American government permanently? And I think that we need to kind of assume here that all right, let's say the polls are right, Biden wins, there's not some crazy... Uh, 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 Trump doesn't rig the election like five states to, to bring it back to him. Right. Like, what is the damage that that algorithm's done? Well, okay, so I will tell you, like, living in America right now, it feels very much like we don't have a government. It, it feels like we haven't <laughs> really had a government for at least the last year. I, I would say since March, it has sort of felt like there are... Groups of states working together to achieve common goals, sort of. But everything is kind of grinding to a halt. I mean, we 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 have mass evictions. We have, like, incredible amounts of homelessness. We have huge unemployment numbers. We have um, – our services are breaking down. It's just, like, it doesn't feel like outside of the stuff we're seeing on TV, like, right now with, like, the nomination of a Supreme Court justice – Outside of the TV, it doesn't really feel like there's a real government out there. And I think – I don't think Joe Biden winning the election fixes that. I think it it would take a very long time to fix that because I think it's a it's been, it's like a, it's like an erosion where it's very, very, very slow, very, very slow, and then all of a sudden it's all at once. Yeah. I mean, 
I get that. I mean, I, I remember what you used to say when you were living in the UK when we were talking about um, uh, specific things around, for example, the idea of, you know, state healthcare, all that sort of stuff. Because your take on it at the time was very much, I don't, like, I feel like federal government and state government are always bad at things because they're very complicated and they're so complicated that it's a problem. Yeah, I mean that's like that's like the that's the common that's the common American kind of response, which is that why would I want my government running anything because they can't run anything? When you know, obviously the answer to that is well, just elect a better government. But like, there's <laughs> such a there's such a there's such a broken sort of feeling of like government is always inherently corrupt and broken that we should just replace it with private institutions. But then it's like. But also private institutions are also fucked up. So, like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, it doesn't <laughs> magically get better. In fact, all you're doing is removing the one lever you have to remove people from public office, which is voting. And then you replace it with money, which means that only rich people get to decide how you do anything because they're the only ones that can decide anything in that system. And it's very frustrating because, like, I want to be the person who's like, yeah, let's – Green New Deal, baby. We're going to do it. <laughs> We're going to fix it. And then it's, but it's also like, I don't know, like you've seen Nancy Pelosi speak. <laughs> like, yeah. Like you've, 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 you saw Chuck Schumer during the impeachment <laughs> stuff. Like you've seen what like the good guys in American government operate like. And I mean, also I'm from a very small town in New England. Like we invented the idea of a toxic local government, like literally in America, we invented it. That's true. And yeah. And in many ways, like, where you're from created the most toxic algorithm of all, which is the Kennedy family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you want, if you want a great example of like why, um, you know, you don't immediately get an egalitarian government if you support, you know, socialist <laughs> institutions. Uh, look at Massachusetts, right? Uh, it's the most socialist state in the union, and we also are run by a dynast. Well, up until recently, run by a dynastic political legacy. So. It is complicated. It is extremely complicated. It is also... So, so, so what I'm trying to figure out from this is how permanent is it? What are the differences between, let's say, let's say now and 2012? So, so how different does it feel now and how permanent does it feel? Oh, interesting. Um... And I mean, like your day to day life, like twenty twelve or tw- or two thousand eight. I was going to say twenty twelve because, like, it's four years into a new presidency. Oh yeah, man, twenty twelve. God, what a remember f- that? What a, fuck- what a fucking year. <laughs> I was twenty two years old. I was no longer homeless. Uh, I spent that summer living out of my car in New York, working for free at Vice Magazine as a receptionist. <laughs> I just got a job. I was working digital advertising at that time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was taking all kinds of substances in Brooklyn at night and working a nothing job in the morning. I just drank uh, water and ate nice sandwiches. That sounds just like you. That sounds just like you. Um and there was this feeling of like unlimited possibility and there was nothing about anything that made me think it was going to go away at any moment it felt looking back on it it felt like anything was possible if you were young and young dumb and full of cum anything was possible no it felt like it felt like with the internet i could do anything and everything was 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 interesting and and nothing felt um, everything was, everything or, was beautiful and nothing hurt. 
Yeah, it, exactly. It felt like nothing because this was before we we even kind of thought about the idea of um, you know viral marketing schemes or anything like that. It wasn't the, the the internet wasn't big enough or important enough. Also, when I first started working in like um, internet media, the main traffic source wasn't Facebook; it was StumbleUpon. And I remember writing articles <laughs> to go viral on StumbleUpon. And then Facebook traffic started to increase around, I want to say it was like around November or December of 2012. 2012 was sort of, the, that, that, that end of that year was when things started to get like pretty real with Facebook traffic. And then it got so big so fast that it became the only website for publishers to ever think about. Yeah, and there was, a, uh, there was obviously an earlier element, which is like kind of running below the surface this is Google, like... Yeah. Google was bigger. I, I'm Google was bigger than StumbleUpon at that time, but Google was also very specific and not very useful. Yeah. Like people didn't Google uh, presidential news or whatever. Like they were googling specific things, so you could be very, very focused on it, but not just like people weren't putting in just like Obama. Yeah, you, could, you very... couldn't game it in the same way. Effectively, because not enough people using it like that. It's like the infamous "What time is the Super Bowl?" posts. That yeah. Like, like the Huffington Post back when it was the Huffington Post, not Huff Post. They were sort of the premier SEO website, and like it was really fu- it's, it was really funny moving to the UK several years later because your Google is totally different than ours, and it's completely dominated by the BBC. Um, but in America, for a long time, like Google was basically just Huffington Post articles. That was that yeah. was the all you'd ever get. Um, but yeah. but in terms of permanency, uh, I would say. That the go go crazy lifestyle I was living in 2012 um, at the time felt completely and totally permanent, and it it felt as if, especially with Mitt Romney, it just felt like this is not a thing. Like this is <laughs> like the the Republicans are not a thing, mm, and the tea wet, <laughs> yeah, mm, wet, good. That's Mitt Romney describing what lemonade tastes like. By the way, uh, Google that; it's one of my favorite videos. Mm, wet, good. Um, or, or mm, wet lemon, something like that. Um, <laughs> no, I I think um, it felt very much like the Republican Party had gone completely insane. They were never going to win. We had learned our lesson with George W. Bush. Obama was amazing. Everyone was having a fun time. Memes were super great. Everything was just going to be great forever. And then it wasn't. <laughs> right. But what I think is that is the case is like a big thing that turned that switch was Facebook was the Facebook algorithm. And suddenly we're saying, Oh, enough people are on Facebook and the Facebook algorithm is becoming increasingly more powerful. We just kind of didn't realize how powerful it was. And there was a bit of kind of riding this fun thing until it went very, very wrong. Yeah. I mean, I would say it's best to think about it like, like a stock market. And it was like a stock market for people's attention and brains and like the way they saw the world and, people like you and I crashed it or helped crash it. And that's like kind of what led us to make this podcast because yeah. the content minds, the job of making viral content is for a long, was for a very long time based around the idea of learning how to hack Facebook's algorithm to the best of your ability to get the most amount of people to read it, to sell ads against it. And it turns out that like the things that were easiest to break in to people's news feeds were about identity. Yeah. And identity is basically just like a polite way of saying things like nationalism or racism or xenophobia or hate. Yeah, and we should be clear, like it's not all identity that is that. Like many people like find solace in identity. Like you find people who connect with you because you're a 
tall girl or a short guy or a right a, a person who really hates mayonnaise or whatever it might be like there's a bunch of right. different things of like oh i understand this and this appeals this makes me feel good because i found other people who live like me and that should also be like highlighted as a thing that's really useful if you're in a community that is is marginalized historically. And I would also and and I would also say it's the cornerstone of like what makes the internet special, which is that you can find all kinds of people to connect with. Which is, you know, it has led to a lot of weird things like furries or yeah, uh, adult diaper fetishists. But it's but it's, it has also led to a lot of great stuff. And it's very <laughs> so. it's very meaningful for the people who find people they would not thought of existed like i i know other people like me and that really matters but then between 20 so let's say 2012 we're saying the algorithm kicked in november december 2012 yeah i would say i would say everything sort of changed between hurricane sandy and the boston marathon bombing i think it was about a four to five month period um in the middle there was sandy hook as well and i think there was a a shift and we didn't know what it was yet um 4chan suddenly became more prevalent like out of nowhere in a way yeah. that was sort of hard to explain instagram suddenly got a lot bigger um facebook became a place that i think people realized was becoming an index of everyone alive and was being used accordingly by people and also um, it, it, there's a certain point where it just flips over scale wise where there's enough people that stuff can can gather a lot of energy outside of its initial audience. Yes, yes, which is very important as well. I think that's that's exactly that would be exactly the moment I think everything switched was was between Hurricane Sandy and Boston Marathon. Okay, it was also and it, and it, and it caused changes around the internet too because like Reddit suddenly became a political force and left untreated that became that combined with 4chan and became GamerGate and. I think Facebook allowed the rest of the internet to grow faster because suddenly everyone could can because because I I think people tend to think of like Facebook as as, as an island, but of course people on Reddit and Fortune have Facebook accounts. Like, I don't think Facebook's the connective tissue, right? So, so uh, I I actually I interviewed for um my newsletter last week this guy Rob Doby who um. He made a really great website called Your Scene Sucks back in the MySpace era, which was like (laughs) documenting different like hipster types. And we talked about how in the MySpace time period, there was no way to communicate with other parts of the Internet unless you found them yourself. But around 2012, that was no longer true because Facebook had connected enough of the Internet and enough people had accounts and were doing things in other communities that those communities were able to find each other. And then I think it took another four years, though or let's say another three years, to turn that into a political movement. Because as we've said on this show before, if you put enough people in an online community, it becomes a religion or a political party. <laughs> Sometimes both. <laughs> Sometimes, in the case of QAnon, both. Um, like, you have to do something with all those people. Um, or maybe they become like a fetish community, actually. like I feel like that's actually... Hold on, wait. <laughs> we're, we're talking about Alexander Hamilton's algorithm and Mark Zuckerberg's algorithm. But I think we also need to talk about like there's the third option, which is like you go like the route of like deviant art and you just become like <laughs> or like or like AO3 and you just become like a bunch of like perverts. And I feel like that's actually looking back on it. The best solution is like you yeah. should just become a pervert. That makes sense. So, yeah, just don't, <laughs> don't be involved in the wild world. 
world. Like, don't put your weird shit onto everyone else. Like, no, yeah. If the internet's getting you all hot and bothered, and you know you're getting into a frenzy about what Hunter Biden was doing in in Ukraine, like, <laughs> just 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 crank your hog, man. Just like just sit down and pull up a Hunter Biden pick and crank your hog. He's super hot, and he like he looks cool smoking cigarettes in his bed. So. Sorry, I got distracted by thinking yeah, about so, how, so how cool Hunter Biden is. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, sorry, I just got a little swept up there. So what we're saying is that after the this emphasis, we then hit, let's say 2015, let's say mid-2015, which I think is probably when the Facebook algorithm is at its most aggressive. And by most aggressive, what I think we mean, or I mean, is if something started moving, it really started moving. Uh, everyone was familiar enough with Facebook to know how to use it uh, and not skeptical enough of it to, enough of it to be like, I should share less. So Yeah, I mean, we're both friends with Kate's Holderness. She has been on our show before. Yeah. Um, and, you know, um, what did Kate's do in February of 2015? <laughs> Kate's did the dress. Kate's posted the dress. So the dress is to me the moment where yeah. in fact um i i heard one uh media executive very astutely refer to the dress as a fishing line that was finally long enough to go all the way down to the bottom of the mariana trench of the internet it was That's as a if good line. it was as if we had finally been able to see how deep the ocean was my my specific memory of the dress was on that night, because it was a weird time for us over here. Like, I went to sleep essentially before it happened. I was with you. I was living with you. Yeah, but I went to sleep. It's like, <laughs> I went to sleep before that, and I don't remember it being a thing. And you saw it before you went to sleep. But then we both got out the next day, and it was like nothing else. Yeah, well, I was texting with Kate's. Um, yeah. And so that night, so Kate's posted it at the end of her work day and then she went home by the time she got out of i think she was buying like knitting supplies or something so she she turns on her phone after getting out of the subway or whatever and um it dies immediately uh from notifications and then i i knew someone who who left america on a plane that night and they landed in singapore the next day and he he was being asked about it in singapore uh, because he was an american um, yeah so it, it was it was this moment where it was also amazing because it was it was a wedding that was held on a Scottish island, like it was uh, this... Isle of Man. It was an Isle of Man, it and was, our it other was friend, an Isle of Man. yeah, oh well, shit, I'm no, sorry. it was no, 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 yeah, no, the person's whose wedding it was from the Isle of Man. Yes, and another friend of ours, mom, was at that wedding. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how that's how globally connected the world had become. Yeah, is that my friend in New York posted a photo uh, taken at a wedding that your friend. My friend's... His mom was at. Yeah. And it became the biggest thing in the entire world for like a week. Um, I remember specifically that night that we went out into bars. I know one of the worst things we've done, which was we asked random people what colors the dress. Right. We, we filmed it. Everyone I, I filmed had an it. opinion. We put it on Vine. <laughs> yes. Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, that's extremely 2015. But but what's, what's crazy, what, what I think is really crazy to think about is in this time period, let's say between 2012 and 2015, America's having like this crazy boom of like digital content. It's like peak Harlem Shake, Gangnam Style. Like Harlem Shake, memes. yeah, that was a classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
memes are are culture and and they're culture and they're fun and they're meaningless and it's great yeah and they're and they're big enough that like everyone knows about them there's like one meme a week and we're all gonna get in on it and talk about it and it's gonna be a big deal and then it'll go away and then three months later it's on an episode of the office exactly exactly um and there's a million guys like me who look exactly like me on your morning shows <laughs> telling your mom, like literally my job for a while. And I had a look that was designed for me by a PR person where I wore, they said I, I should look like Big Bang Theory chic. And I wore uh, Vans and skinny jeans and a plaid shirt and a blazer. And I would have a, a, a level of stubble that had been picked for me. And I would sit on the Today Show and I would explain viral media. That was my, that was my job. I, mean, I feel like I should point out that you're wearing a plaid shirt right now. And I have a little bit of stubble and yeah, my hair yeah, cut. Yeah. yeah, look, I am, I'm it was, regressing. It was also okay? the correct look for you, so it's fine. It was yeah, it's coincidentally, fine. it was also the PR look. Yeah, it's fine. So as America's having this crazy moment, places like Myanmar, places like Sri Lanka, places like India. The Philippines the Philippines, are going through humongous, humongous social upheaval. And it wasn't until many years later that people started to connect the dots and be able to say, wait, no, it's it keeps involving Facebook. It keeps involving Facebook posts and Facebook photos. And it's involving people going on Facebook and, and using it to fuel usually anti-Muslim violence. And I didn't start noticing that trend globally until I started traveling and I probably first noticed something was wrong in a weird way, like end of 2015, where I had I had gone to enough countries that summer and that fall around Europe and, and in Asia that I started to hear the same stories like every single time. And I was like, wait a minute, this is really weird. And that's when the dots started connecting for me and a bunch of other people as well. Like, I, it, you know, I, it was just a lot of people at once going like, wait a minute, we're hearing the same shit everywhere. And it's always involving Facebook. Yeah, and it, what's particularly weird about that is that a few years before there'd been um, the revolution in Egypt, which was widely considered to be, you know, a, a triumph of Facebook. It was a triumph of the free internet. You know, you bring the internet to a country, and eventually uh, everyone talks to each other, and everyone becomes free. Like that was the, the theory, essentially, like behind a lot of it. Well, okay, so here I'll pull back the curtain on my own life for a second, but uh, this has been a, a proposed chapter in two different books that I pitched, <laughs> um, which is that the Arab Spring and Occupy Wall Street were part of one single technological shift that actually finished with Trump. Um, and but that... you see, this is the thing. This is the thing. When I've always said you get one, you get to bottle lightning once. You bottle lightning once, which is the Occupy Wall Street is the Arab Spring. It's all that stuff. You bottle it once, and then the next time it happens, it's much fucking worse. Well, no, I would say, I would say you only get it once because Trump didn't like i think there's a very simplistic view of trump's victory that you see talked about a lot in the mainstream media who all sort of had to learn what 4chan was in 2015 they're like <laughs> peepee the frog is making people into nazis and it's like no 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 trump and with the help particularly of steve bannon was able to win after a decade like it wasn't it wasn't a year it wasn't two years it was a decade it yeah. was it was the internet coming to a place and creating enough like energy that someone like Steve Bannon and the other members of the neo reactionary community who if you've never heard of NRXers they're basically people who believe 
I would say rightly, actually, that the internet is inherently futile and that they want to... Uh, this is true. You can look this all up. But basically, people <laughs> like Steve Bannon believe that the internet is inherently feudalistic and that using the internet, there can bring back feudalism where we all sort of support um, like tech billionaires using the internet. And I would say that the Elon Musk fandom proves that that is absolutely happening. But Steve Bannon like went into places like Reddit and 4chan and, and used people like Milanopolis to actively recruit incredibly angry young men to create a free propaganda campaign for a candidate. And then they picked a candidate that would be best for Facebook. They Facebook optimized their candidate and it was Trump. So you can't really do that again in the same way. You can steal an election, but you can't do it the way he did it because you would need you need the 10 years of buildup and they don't have it this time. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy. Like you, you, you look back on it and, you know, when when Obama came to power in 2008, he had uh, and it was 55, 58 ish Senate seats, like which was it's a sizable majority. And then every round since then, it's essentially been ticking towards, okay, the Republicans have it now. Uh, and, you know, it's gone up and down a little bit, but it's broadly been on a down track. And part of that big down track is that it's become increasingly optimized towards like, oh, it's going to be super partisan. And the system that Alexander Hamilton set up is not able to deal with this on a local level or a national level. Way will, to bring it all the way back around, but that was come sick. back in with the train. <laughs> you did it. Oh, that was good. That was really good. Yeah. So to actually put a button on this, um, and like it should probably be obvious to anyone listening to this that you and I can can and have done could do this for many hours. Um, <laughs> We're going to do a we should do a sequel to this after the election actually happens. Yeah. Okay. We can do that. Uh, we'll, so we'll call this uh, Alexander Hamilton's algorithm versus Mark Zuckerberg's algorithm part one. This is the and preview. Then we'll do, and then we'll this, do the and then we'll do review a, of the this, actual fight, which is in yeah. We'll see. We'll see how we feel. Days, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Okay. We'll do that. Right. Um, so I guess like so it kind of seems like talking through all of this, we've almost concluded that Ham, like Hamilton's algorithm is better. I mean, it's. It's definitely more stable, and it's been around longer, and it doesn't require – it doesn't seem as easily exploitable either. All right. Well, kind of give me my last, my last five minutes on this because I think – Can you think, do a tight five? Can you just like – I can do a tight five. I can do a tight five. Do a tight five? Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So what happened in 2016 was that Facebook algorithm allowed Trump to basically break the guardrails and make it to the White House. He shouldn't have done it. Uh, it was a bunch of weird – things that happened in a weird bunch of weird swing states the fact that he lost the popular vote by two million like votes is like that's relevant that's an important thing however however trump did that by luck and he is still essentially running on luck and that luck's run out he's he was not able to make the connections and, and kind of fluke it forward and everyone's kind of like i'm bored with this now and political gravity's been bringing him down my worry for America would be, okay, 2024, let's assume that Joe Biden isn't running again because, let's be real, he's not running again, but <laughs> but whoever he is, whoever is following him, let's say Kamala Harris. Pete um, Buttigieg. Exactly. They're not. They're going to come up against a version of Trump who's better at it. So let's say Tom Cotton. He'll come up against Tom Cotton. And Tom Cotton is, has the same opinions, arguably worse, but both truly believes them and is an effective operator. Yeah. And you add those two things together, that's worrying. But additionally, and the thing that really worries me, is that Facebook nerfed its algorithm. Yes. This is the big thing, is that 2017, it went like, whoops, fuck that one up. We're going to change the algorithm. That doesn't mean it lost. It means that they decided, we're going to stop doing this now. 
So, throwing this out here, throwing this out here as a continuation, uh, Joe Biden decides to put Elizabeth Warren in charge of a task force that takes out the big tech companies, as was her a big part of her platform. Two years down the line, they haven't quite got the legislation passed, but Mark Zuckerberg is realizing, hmm, this is bad. There is nothing stopping him turning the algorithm back on. Well, it's funny you say that because a friend of the show, and I say friend extremely lightly. Um, <laughs> friend of the uh, show, Steve Bannon. <laughs> a friend of the show, my buddy, Steve. Uh, no, friend of the show, Brian Feldman. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, he's a dear friend of mine and he's a very smart man. Uh, he had a tweet this morning that when I read it, I felt like, oh shit, there it is. It's all there and it's very simply put, which is, he t- uh, Brian tweeted, every day Trump dips lower in the polls, Facebook announces a thing it should have done years ago and confirms the widely held assumption that its policy decisions are driven purely by fear of blowback from regulators. Yep. And I think that is actually exactly the way to think about the decisions to block QAnon, the decisions to remove anti-vax content, the decisions Holocaust to... Denial. Holocaust denialism to stop the New York Post article about our hunky boyfriend, Hunter Biden. (laughs) I think, and I think it's maddening and I think it's frustrating because it's like they waited to see what the polls were going to do and it doesn't look like Trump's going to win. And so Facebook has decided to bet on the other horse. And instead of endorsing a candidate, all they've done is been like, oh yeah, all those things that made like all of your relatives have complete nervous breakdowns and like ruin society. Well, we're going to get rid of them because uh, we're afraid the Democrats are going to like that. Which and is so- precisely my point. Alexander Hamilton hasn't won. Mark Zuckerberg put his thumb on the scale. Like he pulled True. his punches. I mean, it's, 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 it's almost like the equivalent of being held hostage by your sanitation department where it's like, hmm, sure is a lot of garbage in the streets, but there's just no way for us to be able to, for us, the sanitation department, to take care of all this garbage. Oh, wait, the people who aren't, Friends of the sanitation department are going to become like the mayor. I guess we could pick up all the garbage now. And it's very simple. It's like extortion. It's Facebook is essentially extorting America by saying, like, we'll make all of you insane racists and destroy your communities unless we're going to get regulated. And then, okay, we won't. We won't. I swear we won't. Yeah, exactly. Which raises the question, like, you know, had Liz Warren won the nomination and done her thing of I'm going to pull apart all the big tech companies. Would they put their thumb on the scale in the same way? I don't know. I don't don't think so. So I think broadly my conclusion would be is that, you know, I think that there has been a massive failure in the Alexander Hamilton algorithm. Like, this will be the third... Are we canceling Alexander Hamilton? Is this it? We're going to cancel him? I cancel him because of the the musical anyway, so... Okay, yeah, yeah, I agree. Because anyone who's been the center of a musical should be canceled. Well... That's that's why I, and that's why I cancelled Hitler because of springtime for Hitler. <laughs> that's right. He's very problematic because of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but what? Yeah. What? What his algorithm did was, I, I think it's worth pointing out that this will be the third election in a row that the Democrats have won a national vote with a significant number of votes, and they are there's a pretty good chance they're not going to have control of the Senate or they'll have marginal control of the Senate. And it's like, well, hang on, you know, the Senate's entirely supposed to flip every three years, and it hasn't flipped for those three years. So, in fact, they will be there'll be more Supreme Court justices on the conservative side or the Republican side, however you want to frame that. Democrats will have marginal control of the Senate, control of the uh, House of Representatives, and control of the presidency. So they basically get two of four, having won three popular elections in a row. 
And that to me is a failure of the Alexander Hamilton algorithm. Is that, that is, is that bad? Facebook. LOL. Is this a bad? Is that a bad thing? LOL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like that—that's exactly it, though, isn't it? It does come down to that, and, and there there are flaws in it, and part of that's you know there should probably be term limits on Supreme Court justices, all this sort of stuff. There's very basic things, but yeah. equally that has been driven, I think, by Facebook because Facebook's also deep in partisanship, which means that you know Trump could lose the popular vote by three points and probably win the election. Yeah, and I guess this is also the part of the show where we say, like, you know, there's a lot of bits and pieces to the American political experiment, and, like, we're kind of ignoring... And they're all Alexander Hamilton's fault. But we're, you know, we're ignoring, like, gerrymandering and voter intimidation and all kinds of voter suppression and all those things. Also, Facebook, like everything it does, has found a way to make those things easier and more um, systemic. So I would agree with you that... Uh, <laughs> I would agree with you that Alexander Hamilton is problematic. Um, <laughs> and I guess my only thing that I'll say is that Facebook has only been around for what twenty, no, uh, fifteen years almost, maybe fifteen years. Yeah, which is crazy in and of itself. Um, but. America has been around, let's say, after the Civil War. We've got like 150 years there, probably, right? Something it's, like that. It's around until it isn't. Right. Not much like the so, UK, because we're going to lose Scotland, so. Yeah, I mean, you guys shouldn't have had Scotland for this long anyways. <laughs> but I, yeah, I just think, um, I think it's easier to pull apart a website than it is to pull apart a government, because a website... I think if Facebook, we've talked about this, but if Facebook turned off tomorrow, I don't think, I don't think anyone would care for a while. Uh, in the same way, I don't think that's true about the u.s government <laughs> well i mean I, that's it well, i mean we don't have yeah, yeah. one we don't have one now so i don't know we did not do this segment last week because we talked for way too long about toxic <laughs> groups on the internet but let's bring it back anyway yeah we missed this section last week which is uh, content you consume to stay stay sane Whew. so ryan what content have you consumed this week to stay sane it's a great question um i just finished the haunting of bly manor on netflix is that good i've, uh, I've seen it it's been very aggressively advertising on netflix which makes me resent the idea of watching it yeah i mean that's that's sort of what happens now right is like netflix picks like three big shows the entire world has to talk about and then like we all like talk about it um yeah uh, the haunting of hill house i will say is one of the scariest things i have ever watched to the point where there is a jump scare i think in episode eight that physically hurt me like i pulled a muscle <laughs> well, I'm very bad with jump scares. Like, I'm awful with them. I, I can't, I can't handle them at all. Yeah. So, and like, I yeah. love, I love horror, and I love Mike Flanagan, who ha- uh, he's uh, like the showrunner for Haunting of Hill House, and he he's done Castle Rock. He's so done Bly Manor. Bly Manor. You said Hill House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first one's what? Haunting of Hill House. Second one's Haunting of Bly Manor. Oh, they're linked. Okay, hold on, hold on. Yeah. So, okay, right. I need more of, information about this. The Haunting of Bly Manor is a follow up to the Haunting of Hill House. Haunting of Hill House is one of the scariest things I've ever seen, and episode five and six are two of the best hours of TV I've ever watched. Episode five, episode six is three continuous shots for an hour. It's mind blowing. And it has a jump scare in episode eight that I still think about how just like fucked up and <laughs> awful it is. So I was extremely excited to watch Haunting of Bly Manor, which is a completely unrelated 
follow up in the anthology series. Uh, it's good. It definitely it did make me cry at the end. The ending is like good. I think the ending is better than Haunting of Hill House, but it's not nearly as scary. And it also has something that I know you're going to be interested in, which is <laughs> Americans doing um, English accents. Hooray! I do love that. It's my favorite thing. Yeah, there's. <laughs> There's one there's one in particular so the whole thing is narrated by an American woman actor doing a British and a northern British accent. Oh, that's good. And because uh, that's particularly good because like no Americans can tell the difference between like Scouse and like Newcastle. Right. So she's I, I don't want to give too much away, but basically because uh when you when you understand what accent she's doing, it reveals something about the show. But um, yeah, she's doing a. The very... show hates British. Hates British people. Well, no, it's but also the show takes place in Wessex. W- Wessex doesn't even exist. Yeah, I mean, Bly Manor. Like, I'm, techni- I'm technically from Wessex, but only in the sense that I am from Wiltshire, which used to be in Wessex in the 13th century. Well, no, I mean this is important, like because the, the manor house is like hundreds okay. of years old, but. Um, it, it basically, there's a Frank Turner. There's a Frank Turner song, which is Wessex boy, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So everyone should on Bly Manor sound like you, <laughs> but because it is cast with Americans doing English accents and also cast British people at this place, the British people have all kinds of different accents, like just wild accents. And sure. it would be like if you know you did like a thriller set in Maine and you had a bunch of people with like Texas and California and like you know, Chicago accents running around. Right. But it's good. It's like, it's good. Uh, it, it had one scare in it that I watched it with my dad and he, he, he jumped actually. Like it got him. So I think that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so I'd recommend it. If you like the first season, you won't like this one as much, but if you go into it, just like, it's a different show entirely. I think you'll like it. But, uh, what content have you consumed to stay sane recently? I mean, this is specifically wild bit of content, but it's also on Netflix. And I feel like, American, you may know more about it than I did because I just came across it and it, it's astonishing. But it's called Sixty Days In. I've never heard of this. What is this? Oh man! So it is a reality show that involves an awful lot of people who are not prisoners going into prison what? to reveal what the prisoners are doing wrong. Wait, it's like undercover boss, but in prison. Yeah, and they're they're undercover prisoners. That's and there's like eight people who go in. It's like a lot of people. And what? they go in for different reasons. Like some of them, like one of them's an ex-cop and wants to know what it's like in prison. And then one of them, like he was like, "Yeah, my brother was in prison, and I didn't like understand what he went through, so I'm going into prison for sixty days to do this." That's fucking nuts. It is one of the most nuts things that I've okay. I've so it was on. Heard. It was on a. It was on A and E. That sounds right. A. I'm pretty sure A and E also had that completely insane show that was a live show that cut to different body cams of police officers in the field live. Yep, that sounds right. Um, but this is nuts. Yeah, and they, they send them in, and, and they, these people are like, hey, so, you know, how should I talk? And he's like, well, not like you do. You'll get murdered. <laughs> but also, it's worse than that because the guards also don't know that they're, like, reality show contestants. Oh, no. Oh, this is a nightmare. So, so like, uh, I think of all the guards, like, four of the very senior guards know that they're, like, fake prisoners Wait, and everyone okay. else just assumes they're real i have questions i have so many questions about this yeah why <laughs> i i get no my main question is like okay like what if you're on the show and you like you like have to break a law to like survive like oh so they went through that 
Do you so get if, prosecuted no, no. for that? If some if someone attacks you, then that's assumed to be fine. But like, if you start a fight and do a crime, if you like do a crime off your own back, that's a problem. What if like someone's like, "Yo, like we think you're acting suspicious and like you don't belong here, and we think you're like a, a rat, and you should like do this heroin." I mean, they are rats, so. But like, I cannot. But no, they have they have they have cameras everywhere, so it's it's all filmed in the prison. So what do they? T- why are they being? I I need to watch this because like well, cause what do you prisons talk? have cameras everywhere? Sure, no, 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 I get that, but like this is a that sounds like a nightmare. That sounds like an absolute yeah. fucking nightmare. It, it's one of those things where I'm like, this can't be real, and you start watching. I'm like, oh, this is exactly what's happened here. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, that sounds almost as unbearable as watching Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice. <laughs> Oh, Jesus Christ. So uh, if you uh, don't know, Luke and I, for our Patreon patrons, have been doing a movie podcast called Post Post Credit Scene. And the first main arc of that show is called The Road to the Snyder Cut. And we are watching all of the DC Entertainment Universe movies. Uh, Luke and I are hardcore Marvel fans. We are not so hot on the DC movies this week. We are talking about Batman versus Superman. Uh, that episode will be dropping for our patreon patrons tomorrow which would be friday this is the one that i feel like we're, we're sacrificing most for like ah. the main series like it's just like hey we're gonna hang out we're gonna have a chat about things that we like but this one we have to put the work in I, and it's work that is unpleasant i mean i do feel like we're debasing ourselves that is true yeah. um and for five dollars a month you can listen to us debase ourselves <laughs> also for five dollars a month you will be able to suggest things for us to talk about um we also for five dollars a month you will get access to ryan's feet pics you get as many foot pics as you can handle um please i am drowning in foot pics and for 25 dollars a month maybe i'll show a hole who knows uh, <laughs> <laughs> um so definitely go over to patreon.com slash the content minds uh, to check that out. We've already been uh, asked to revisit the new Star Wars sequels. We have litigated whether or not the final season of Game of Thrones is good. And we got a recent suggestion that we should do something uh, for Halloween. So we might be doing oh. a horror themed uh, post post credit scene. We, we should talk about that. I think I think we should do something like like we should watch like predator 2 or something uh let's talk about it <laughs> <laughs> i just look i just want to watch predator 2 and like if i can figure out a way to turn that into content like that makes my life easier you know what i mean fair enough no, uh, like oh actually wait have you ever seen event horizon no but i'm obsessed with the 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 sunshine movie which you you say is the same as event horizon it, absolutely it is okay wait okay. this might be because that's my favorite horror movie of all, all right, time all right, all right all right let's do it event horizon famously the original cut was so violent that the studio destroyed it they destroyed it like there's no evidence that it exists <laughs> anyways so go over to post uh go over to the uh the patreon to check out post post credit scene um and we we will be having like uh new tiers and goodies for people starting pretty soon uh we're, it's been really exciting to connect with our patrons and we want to make sure uh we are giving you guys the most bang for your buck and and doing it the best way so stay tuned for more updates on that so thank you guys and um delete your facebook you know yeah, probably we should. We all should. 